It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. So what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast as well. And if you haven't subscribed, if for some reason you just stumbled uh, upon this program, uh, you can very easily subscribe. You just click the subscribe button. And if you don't see one, that's kind of weird. But you can go to thepetecalendarshow.com. There's a big subscribe button there. You click on that, and then you'll never miss an episode. And uh, I send out episodes every single day, five days a week. And then on the weekends, uh, there's some additional content that you get. So go to The Pete Callender Show. You can also become uh, a patron and support the program directly and get exclusive content. Like tonight, we're doing our weekly live stream. So uh, go to thepetecalendarshow.com, subscribe, become a patron like uh, Kathleen did and Matt did and Jason and Marlene, Jenny and Sean, Rhonda, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace and Lisbeth, they all became uh, uh, patrons of the program and uh, they get exclusive content and they got the bumper sticker. Not saying you do it for the bumper sticker, but a lot of people do. Um, on the agenda today, Zuck Bucks, how the Facebook founder pumped millions of dollars into North Carolina's election. Uh, the agency specifically, the boards of election during uh, the 2020 race, especially in the counties that vote heavily for Democrats. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Plus, there is a reason why the messaging from the left over the last year has been remarkably consistent, like it's being coordinated or something. It's because it is. <laughs> it's because it is. All right. Uh, so we're going to get to that in a minute. First, spring is here. And if you are dreading the yard work, maybe because like when you packed up all of your yard equipment uh, in the fall and you were like, man, I really need to replace some of this stuff because it's just terrible. But you didn't want to do it then because, you know, you're not going to be using it. You tr like I'm going to get through just this last season with these crummy uh, hedge clippers. Right. Or, or this this terrible mower. Right. You're constantly making repairs to it. It doesn't turn correctly. Maybe the transmission's all jacked up. Anyway, all of that is to say, if you need to get some new tools for spring to help you tame the wild fauna growing all over your property, then you go to General Equipment Rental. Whether you're buying some tools or you just need to rent some for a particular job. Like maybe you got a really big job. Maybe you want to put in a garden and you want to till or, you know, turn up a whole plot of land. And you're like, man, I don't want to do that. I don't have the tool to do it. I don't want to buy a tool just for this one project. Go to General Equipment Rental. They're in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road over there. Uh, they're family owned and operated. Great folks over there. And they're experts on this stuff. OK, this is what it means when you're a specialist, when you are the official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider it means you're a specialist you know these tools you know these uh, these pieces of equipment and you know like what they can and cannot do which ones are better for what kinds of jobs uh model changes from year to year improvements that they've made that the manufacturer has made they can help you with all of that now if you're looking to rent uh obviously they can help you with that they can show you how the tools work so you don't break their tools but also so you get the job done correctly the first time and really when you have the right tool the jobs become much easier. They really do. Go to General Equipment Rental, 
Go to check out their website, generalrents.com. You'll see all their inventory, the deals that they've got. They're running a fantastic deal right now on Husqvarna stand-on mowers. They'll show you how to put two different deals together that they know of uh, in order to get like $3,500 off of a couple of these models. So go to generalrents.com and get the details on that, or better yet, just go into the shop. Okay, they're, again, in Weaverville, Reams Creek Road, and... Uh, Merriman Avenue, right there at the intersection. Uh, General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. Joining me now is Hayden Ludwig. He is the Senior Investigative Researcher at the Capital Research Center. You can read his work at capitalresearch.org. And welcome back to the program, Hayden. How are you? I'm fine. It's good to be with you, Pete. Thank you. Certainly. So uh, I think the last time we talked about a whole slew of uh, various organizations that were involved in fundraising and the election process in North Carolina, you've done a bunch of recent work, though, kind of focusing on uh, what one organization that got a lot of money from one particular wealthy couple. So um, I guess I need to start off with uh, first who is or what is the Center for Technology and Civic Life, the CTCL? What is that? Yeah, a lot's changed since last time we spoke uh, before the election. Center for Technology and Civic Life, CTCL, is a Chicago nonprofit that received uh, $350 million from Facebook founder, billionaire Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan. And it distributed this $350 million in, uh, we've calculated, about 2,500 grants across the entire country. These are grants made to local county and city elections officials. And the idea is it's COVID-19 relief funds. They're supposed to help these beleaguered offices uh, with the election because it was done in October, September. Um, But in reality, what we found is we crunched the numbers in a lot of battleground states and found that. Yeah, it increased voter turnout, but it particularly vote increased voter turnout in big Democratic-leaning cities in really important battleground states. I mean, North Carolina is just one of them. We looked at Michigan and Arizona and places that either flipped or had incredible turnout for Joe Biden in the recent election. So it was basically philanthropy, but not really. It was actually politics that was intended, I think, to have a partisan outcome that would help. Uh, Biden win in in a lot of these states. So explain to me, these are grants. You say they went to all of these different organizations or did they go to election offices? Did they go to both? What where did the money go? They went to government agencies. And this is what's so outrageous. It was one billionaire who effectively privatized the election in a lot of different places. And I say that and I'm not exaggerating. For instance, in Philadelphia, we found a 10 million dollar grant to the city of Philly. Well, Philly's elections budget's only $12 million, so it almost doubled the entire city of Philadelphia's elections budget, and we found a particular contract for all this, and among these different things are postage for mail-in ballots. This was an election with a lot of mail-in ballots in a lot of different places. Um, and another thing for secure drop boxes. Now, that sounds perfectly fine, but what these were is they set up drop boxes, private collection bins, and in a lot of big cities like Washington, D.C., I saw them during the election, uh, Philadelphia, other places. And these were basically bins where anybody can drop off any number of ballots with almost no or no supervision at all. So the problem you can see is if somebody's ballot harvesting, which happens every election cycle, people go to prison for this every election cycle. 
if somebody's ballot harvesting in a place like Philadelphia or in Raleigh-Durham, for instance, right, you can drop off these any number of ballots in this private collection bin, and you don't have anybody supervising you. If you're committing voter fraud, there's nobody supervising you. And I've even been told, I'm not a lawyer, but I've been told by lawyer friends that because it's not a post office box, the private box, that that doesn't even count as mail fraud if you're caught doing it. So CTCL basically opened the door for all these election irregularities in the year that was already rife with um, shenanigans that, you know, we've seen all these lawsuits flying back and forth on. This just exacerbated all of that. Right. You mentioned the lawsuits. North Carolina was the subject uh, of a lawsuit brought by, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It doesn't really matter. It's the it's like the retiree group inside the AFL-CIO. And they hired, you know, Mark Elias, the Democrat super lawyer, the elections guy, who also happened to coincidentally represent our governor, Democratic governor, in 2016 uh, during the recount uh, and, and all of the election stuff going on in 2016 when he beat the incumbent Republican. Pat McCrory. But um, the lawsuit that got filed, it named the Board of Elections and Governor Cooper, but it also named uh, the Republican legislature. But then they cut the deal. This is the sue and settle uh, tactic, right? The strategy that they sue these governments and then the Board of Elections settled. And Roy Cooper, they settled with the uh, plaintiffs and they cut the legislature out of the negotiation out of that settlement process. Um, And then, of course, it went into the courts and such, but it upended election law. And this we're not the only state that saw this happen. We got lucky in that uh, we didn't have the drop boxes, but ballot harvesting people in North Carolina are pretty aware of the ballot harvesting. We had a congressional election that got overturned because of ballot harvesting down in the North Carolina 9th District. And now they want to implement that, as I understand, as part of H.R. 1 up in Congress. They're like, hey, let's have ballot harvesting all over the place. But there are no controls. And I think that this is an issue now down in Georgia. They're now looking at the ballots down in Georgia saying there's no chain of custody. And uh, that's sort of a feature, not a bug, I would suspect. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we got to ask ourselves these questions, right? If so, we had a liberal billionaire who effectively privatized the election, right? What if it was a conservative billionaire who funneled three hundred fifty million dollars to you know a lot of red counties that went for Trump in the twenty twenty election? I mean, do we expect that CNN and MSNBC and a lot of the left leaning commentators who are now saying that CTCL saved the election? By the way, do yeah. we expect that they they would you know praise this as saving the election? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think they that there's the the motive there to have a partisan outcome. And what's particularly frustrating is this was money channeled through a 501c3 nonprofit. That's like your church. That's like uh, your, your local Rotary Club. These are these are groups that are meant to be used for charitable purposes. I don't think anybody would consider funding elections a charitable cause. It's a, it's a political cause, right? And what's very interesting to me is when I look at all the numbers in this, and part of what my organization has done in looking at these states is trying to trace as many of these grants as we can because – CTCL has given out no none of this information. We've had to cobble it together ourselves. When we trace these things together, and I find that the biggest grants flow to huge Democratic districts everywhere you look, and that doesn't matter the state, I would ask myself, well, CTCL says its goal is nonpartisan. It just wanted to help people vote. 
But if its goal was partisan, if its goal was to help Joe Biden win, I don't think they would have done anything differently. And that's pretty damning, if you ask me. Is it possible that these um, Democrat strongholds, they got the money because they're the most uh, most densely populated, right? They're your urban centers. Of course. Yeah. And, and, you know, to play devil's advocate, that's what I'm sure what they would say. However, when we look at the numbers here, we, we compare these things, right? Uh, I'll, I'll give you Virginia, for instance. Um, I looked at the, at the 10 most populous counties over the, in uh, Virginia. Most of them are along the Potomac or down in Richmond. I, I happen to live in Virginia. And I looked back over the last 20 years, and I saw that if you, if you pay attention to how the money was spent, it corresponds to how Democrats have increased their voter turnout in places like Fairfax County right along the Potomac River which is ultra lobbyist country right there. So, and then we flip over to other states, right? Like um, Nevada. Nevada has, you know, a dozen, 15 different counties. Only two went to Joe Biden, Reno and Las Vegas. Well, what are the two counties that received CTCL grants? Reno and Las Vegas, right? Wherever we look, I'll, I'll give you another one. Uh, Arizona, Maricopa County, which is centered on Phoenix, has something like three-fifths of all Arizona voters. It also happened to receive the the lion's share of all grants that went to uh, the entire state of Nevada, uh, Arizona, excuse me, and was the only place in that entire state that flipped from Trump four years ago to Biden in 2020. So, yeah, of course, the money flew, went to the places with the most number of people. And yet I think it's, it's incumbent upon them to defend the fact that they, they all their money went to the most Democratic leaning districts. I have a feeling that if it was the other way around and these were places that Trump got the most votes and CTCL money went from a conservative donor, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, our friends in Congress, uh, our friends in the left leaning media would be asking some really tough questions that conservatives would have to defend. Instead, they're praising these guys for their their noble gallantry in saving the 2020 election from Trump and the Republicans. So, and, and just to be clear, the um, the money is coming in form of a grant, and it's going to boards of election at the county level. I'm not aware. I mean, I guess this maybe I should have asked this first. Are they even allowed to do that? I guess they are because they did it. But that sounds I don't know illegal. Like I wasn't aware that you could just issue grants through a nonprofit to government agencies like this? Well, that's a huge question that's up up in arms right now. People uh. are up in arms over it. I mean, um, yeah, so I don't know election law very well, especially in all 50 states, but I can tell you this. There's at least mul- there's multiple lawsuits going on uh, against CTCL in a bunch of states. I know the Amistad Project, the Thomas More Society, I know they're involved in a number of these lawsuits that are contending CTCL broke the law, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't get into particulars on that. But mm-hmm. I do know there's at least four or five states that, if it's not already legal, they're working on um, voter integrity, election integrity bills right now that are intended to make this illegal because they understand that that's a huge problem. And you can cycle effectively an unlimited amount of money through a nonprofit that's not even located in your state borders. And you can you can have any kind of outcome you want. I mean, that's that's hugely problematic, and it shouldn't matter whether – if they helped Republicans, if they helped Trump, it shouldn't matter. That's a huge problem, and I, I think we need to ask ourselves, if our, if our elections um, officials, their, their budgets are not receiving enough money to do their jobs, well, then the answer is to go back and reconsider how big their budget needs to be, not turning to a billionaire or a handful of billionaires to make up the shortfalls. And I would say, too, 
This is after the CARES Act that's supposed to be COVID-19 relief from Congress. This is after the CARES Act supplemented these yeah. budgets, as far as I know, to anybody who asked. So, so the defense of CDCL needed to make up these gaps is, is really paltry. More with Hayden Ludwig from the Capital Research Center in a minute. First, every year when we set our clocks to spring forward, do you know that hospitals report a 24% spike in heart attack visits, strokes increase, uh, car crashes increase, workplace accidents increase, and instead of thinking of daylight saving time as a you know dangerous uh, sleep clock disrupting antiquated annual policy. I prefer to think of it as a great time to get an awesome deal on a new mattress from Mattress Man. With daylight saving time apparently trying to kill all of us, we need to be prepared with a comfortable bed to get the most out of our sleep. So how you sleep, you know, the position you sleep in, the kind of mattress you sleep on, it all matters in our fight, the life and death fight against daylight saving time. Okay, I may be exaggerating this just a little bit, but not by much. The sleep consultants at Mattress Man, they're going to help you find the right bed, for real. Go to mattressmanstores.com, check out all the savings throughout the entire store. You can actually get a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. They have four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. Uh, They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. They ship nationwide. So remember, take advantage also of Mattress Man's tax refund deal. You could basically be sleeping on the new mattress uh, without even paying for it until your refund comes in and then you pay for it. Or uh, your Biden bucks, you can use that too. Uh, No credit needed, plus other flexible financing options like no interest for two years. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. So Hayden, in your analysis of uh, North Carolina, you say Joe Biden won 26 of the 100 counties, accounting for 65% of his overall votes in the state and containing just over half of the entire uh, population. Of those 26 counties, CTCL gave money to nine of them, (laughs) just nine. And then you break down that even further. Uh, Wake County is listed here. They gave money into Asheville, Buncombe County as well. Um, And which is kind of interesting to me because Buncombe County, it's not one of the largest counties in the state, but it is very, very Democrat, very Democrat, Um, which sort of supports your argument, I would submit. Yeah. And if you if you look at the there's a gap between where we see the gains for both Trump and Biden over their 2016 numbers and the gains everywhere across the board were higher for Biden. I mean, by a lot, too. In some cases, I mean, he had 25 percent growth where Trump had, let's just say, 18 percent growth. And I would say, too, of those nine counties, that doesn't sound like a lot, but those are the nine most populous counties in the state. And they also happen to receive something like 90 percent of all CTCL's funds across the entire state of North Carolina. So, when you get down to it, they micro-targeted key places. Yeah, I know a lot of people live there, but it's also the places that you need to get a lot of turnout if you're a Democrat hoping to win. That's your entire strategy is banked on getting those there. And again, that's a partisan outcome. You know, if they're going to defend this as we were nonpartisan, you had a partisan outcome. I don't think that, that they would be letting us get away with it on the conservative side if the same thing was true. I just can't imagine that. I know how the left works, and, and they would not. They would call that hypocr- hypocrisy. Right. They could have donated the money through the general fund of the state and let the state uh, disperse the money to the boards of elections 
by their formulas rather than target the individual counties. But they opted not to do that. I think the the rationale is pretty clear. Um, So I guess now I need to ask you, and by the way, I'm talking with Hayden Ludwig. He is a senior investigative researcher at the Capital Research Center. The website is uh, capitalresearch.org. I guess I should ask you, who is CTCL? Who are these people and uh, like, I've never heard of them, I don't think, before I read your piece. So uh, like, are they, have they been involved in a lot of stuff before and I'm just not aware of them? No, it's true. It's they're, they're, they were a sleepy organization I had never heard of, you know, before September 2020. Give you a sense of how small they were versus and, and what a difference Zuckerberg's $350 million made. That was uh, his $350 million was equivalent to about a 25 thousand percent increase in their (laughs) year-to-year budget i mean that's it's crazy numbers right right? but ctcl they've been around for about uh seven eight years now but they were tiny not very well involved in anything but their background is very interesting so three key founders i won't give you their names i won't go into all their backgrounds but three three key founders that come out of the professional left and they were previously for an organization called the new organizing institute now, this new organizing institute was an activist training center for left-of-center activists. Basically taught them how to create political strategy. It taught them how to organize, get-out-the-vote campaigns. I mean, all the sorts of things that when I studied the, the professional networked left, the kind of stuff that I see is kind of the sinew of keeping all this stuff together. So the guys who are the brains behind CTCL, the supposedly nonpartisan group, that's only interested in have really good election turnout for everybody. You know, these are people who come out of, you know, the, they're creatures of the professional left. They're paid to basically help Democrats win elections. So they should tell you a whole lot about um, anything they're going to do is going to be focused on a kind of partisan outcome. You quote the Washington Post describing this organization as the Democratic Party's Hogwarts for digital wizardry, <laughs> which yeah, I, just, exactly. I, I just want to scream, read another series of books besides Harry Potter. Sorry, that's the Gen Xer in me coming out. <laughs> um, the left's think tank for campaign know-how. Right. So I would submit that if three uh, uh, three conservative activists out of a Koch brother funded organization were to set up a nonprofit and then funnel money into boards of elections, um, which I mean, I would I would venture to guess they probably were hiring staffers and stuff. And I guess people would volunteer, quote unquote, to go help. And that opened up the, uh, the it opened up potential employment slots for folks and volunteer slots for folks who are part of this organizational effort to go and volunteer and do this work, to help them out, right? I, I would assume so. If you got all this money for drop boxes, you could then have people go out and, you know, harvest the ballots, even though in North Carolina it's still technically illegal. Um, is there any connection between staffing levels, or is this just a money play? Well, there is. I mean, I found um, budgets from CTCL for its grants that include temporary staffing. Well, that may sound innocuous. It may be innocuous. But when you supply that kind of funding to these organizations, you're also, because money is fungible, you're freeing up resources to do other things like these drop boxes. Would those drop boxes have permeated American cities if we didn't have CTCL funding? I don't think so because they're entirely private. You know, and, and the other thing of this, too, is when you have big turnout like this, it makes it easier for 
PACs and campaigns and other groups like that that exist basically to mobilize people, bus them to the polls, that sort of thing, and making their job a lot easier. I'm not saying it's bad for people to go out and vote. Of course not. But I'm pointing out that it's they're expecting us to be very naive and ah shucks about this whole thing. But I tell you, I study these guys for a left. They, when it comes to an election, they don't like take anything for granted. They don't leave anything to chance. And so when CDCL comes in there and gets a tax break, by the way, because they're a C3, 501C3, to fund all these elections offices, really it's just one component in a larger coalition of groups that each has its specific job, and the outcome is always the same. Elect a Democratic politician so that we can get some kind of policy change. And I just I just have to laugh because you're right. If it was a Coke-funded organization doing this whole thing, we would you'd find California, my home state, New York, Illinois. They'd probably be the first state saying we need to bar this from ever happening again. Instead, they want they want to say nothing negative about it. It's just too rich. Is there any indication that other organizations of the right are now looking at this model and saying, you know what, we should do this too? Because if it doesn't get outlawed, then it requires there to be a response of, I, I would think, a comparable nature, right? Yeah, it's a good question. Not to my knowledge, no. Um, you know, as far as I can tell, conservative folks right now are just, they're very concerned about this. And, you know, I would say, too, there shouldn't be conservative organizations that do the same thing as CTCL, because what it's doing really is, even if the C- if, even if I'm wrong and all the CTCL did was perfectly fine, it was a, it was a great election, nothing to worry about, the public confidence in these things is being undermined when you start to outsource the jobs and the funding for our elections officials to private organizations. You know, people don't trust that outcomes in elections can be taken seriously anymore, right? They look at it more and more like people looked at elections in the Soviet Union or they look at them in communist China. And if the right starts doing that with the left, it'll only increase the rate at which people no longer take it seriously. So, no, I think the answer is to borrow this from happening in the future and say, look, we have elections officials for a reason. We don't rely on private organizations to run all these things. We keep it above board and out in the open and totally transparent. Now, on a different note, um, we do. there's a big disparity between the left and the right on these voter registration organizations. Um, right now, the IRS is so foggy about the rules involved in whether a, a nonprofit can go register people to vote, not tell them how to vote, but register them how to vote, that the right basically never does it, and the left shamelessly does it. I mean, there's hundreds of organizations that do nothing but try and get people registered to vote. Mm-hmm. And when you look at where they target, it's the big cities, it's separate it's the things you'd expect that your strategy was to basically to help Democrats. Your strategy really was partisan. You would do exactly what they do. Well, right, because if you're going to go out and try to register people to vote in Republican country, you know, you probably will get guns drawn on you as you approach the property line. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a lot more walking, you know, it's a lot more walking per vote <laughs> than in the in the that more densely true. populated areas. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, no. And that's always been that's always been sort of the that's um, uh, the conventional wisdom, right? That th- this belief that high turnout always helps Democrats, although I, I did see some analysis recently that that might not necessarily be the case because, you know, look at the high turnout, look how many votes that Donald Trump got in the last election. Um, so that may not necessarily be the case. 
But um, as you mentioned, they, they've been engaged in this kind of activity for a long time. And you kind of touched on the counter argument a, a minute ago. So I'll just ask it plain, which is, isn't this a good way, though, to get people to go vote? Why do you not want people to vote? That'll be the argument, right? Why do you want to right, stop people right. from voting? Yeah. Right. I know it's a good it's a natural question. I, I would point out, you know, that's actually the less important point. The real the really important point is the mechanism that's going into this. Right. I mean, for. A hundred years, really even longer than that, going back to the, the beginning of this country, we've had a robust nonprofit sector because Americans don't turn to government to solve problems when private citizens can solve problems, which is why we have a tax break for things like churches, right? So it's a good idea. We reward that kind of generosity. You don't find that anywhere else in the world. Well, what we've done is uh, we, we've created this entire robust nonprofit sector that then these professional left-wing activists have come in and warped. They've taken over and said, hey, great, look, we can get a tax break to do exactly the things we want to do. We don't have to report our donors. We can, we're really cagey about exactly how we spend all our money. This is really great because we can still do everything we want to do, and it's now incentivized. And the problem is, is that maybe at one point it was a good idea for the IRS to say, Sure, nonprofits can register people to vote, but when the outcome has been so clearly one-sided that it's no longer a charitable activity, I mean, I don't know anybody who would consider busing people to the polls to be an act of charity. We think of charity, we think of feeding widows and helping orphans. I mean, this is a political act, and we can't, we can't afford to be so naive about these things anymore. So I would say, you know what? It's not about getting more people to vote or fewer people to vote. The real issue is... They're abusing a system that was set into place to to help people's lives, and they're, they're abusing it for political gain. And it's got to stop. It's been going on for decades, and it's just it's outrageous. Hayden Ludwig, anything else you'd like to add before we let you go? Uh, we've got reports on all the big battleground states on our website, capitalresearch.org. We're working on more as they come. So if you're interested in seeing your state, come to our website, take a look. Um, we're adding a more every day. We're trying to do our best to cover as many states as we can, um, because this stuff is, is a big unraveling story. There's going to be more in the months to follow. Hayden Lundwig, the senior investigative researcher at the Capital Research Center. And again, the website is capitalresearch.org. Hayden, thanks again, uh, as always, for your time. We appreciate you spending it with us. It's great to be with you. Thank you again. All right. And you will be thanking me when you go to growershemp.com and you type in my name, Pete, in the promo code on checkout and you're like 20 percent off. Thank you, Pete. It's going to happen. I'm telling you. Go to growershemp.com for your CBD products. They've got topicals. They've got lozenges. They've got uh, the drops. These are the uh, full spectrum hemp extract drops that I I take these before I go to bed every night uh, because for my entire life I would wake up in the middle of the night mind racing it'd take me like you know 15 20 30 minutes to fall back asleep since I started taking the CBD products from growers hemp I don't have that uh, happen any longer so uh, what are you looking for lower tension deeper sleep immune system resilience a better quality of life maybe a balanced state of mind positive mental outlook go to growershemp.com and uh, check out the products and know that they control the entire process from seed to shelf. They are farmers. One of the farmers that's the, uh, that uh, made the company, that is building the company, is my brother-in-law. I can tell you, he's a farmer. <laughs> and they said, you know what? We're tired of these companies coming in from out of state and not treating us very well, basically. And they're like, why don't we band together with our other farmer friends and we'll control this? Which means you get better quality, lower price, and you're supporting North Carolina farms. 
So, uh, and that's and that's why you know they're doing it too. They want to help you on your wellness journey, um, and uh, they also you know are trying to save their family farms. So, uh, head on over to GrowersHemp.com promo code Pete, and you'll get twenty percent off. Also, I have to tell you the uh, the disclaimer: GovCo requires it. So, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research, and these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Again, that's growershemp.com, promo code PETE for 20% off. Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a story in Time Magazine, I believe it was, that, um, yeah, Time Magazine. It was was called The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. And uh, Hayden Ludwig was uh, mentioning, you know, some of the the effusive praise and the celebration and the back padding that uh, a lot of these organizations were doing. Uh, after the 2020 election results. And I thought that this was interesting, and I've, I've kind of been sitting on it. I've read it. It's a very lengthy piece, but the again, the title is The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election, which is an explicit framing of the action, right, that they saved the 2020 election, that the entire premise of this massive story is to uh, to convey to the readers that the election and democracy itself was in peril, but for these noble, nonpartisan warriors who just happened to be primarily of the left. <laughs> and so uh, the entire article is framed as uh, we owe them, you know, our thanks and gratitude. Thank God for them uh, or our democracy would have been completely destroyed by Donald Trump and all of his, uh, what was the term used in one of these? Henchmen. Yes, henchmen. So Again, this is the framing of the article, but this is why, by the way, if it seemed like there were a lot of uh, organizations and institutions aligned against Donald Trump and um, his reelection campaign, it's because there were. And you can argue that he was responsible to some extent, large extent, uh, for a lot of those institutions aligning against him. But there were also a lot that were just, you know, naturally predisposed to hate him and republicanism and all of that and, you know, conservatism and his policies. But there is also this class divide, right, that has been occurring, that the Republican Party really is a good example of it. Democrats, they've got, you know, it's I call them the Elysium Party because they they have this really rich uh, you know, upper crust, and then they've got the really poor down at the bottom. They really don't have a lot of the middle class so much anymore. A lot of that middle class is now all over on the Republican side. The problem on the GOP side is that a lot of Republican leadership, they uh, they don't seem <laughs> too comfortable uh, around some of their base. <laughs> they don't like a lot of their base. So, there, so there's this class divide this rift uh that is uh, uh going on over on the gop side my opinion i you know take it for whatever it's worth um but this article uh it, it talks about how there was in fact a conspiracy right all of the people that said oh there's no such thing as this conspiracy or whatever and you know the the the, uh, the accusation that the election was rigged for example and i said look i've seen no evidence that there was the, quote, rigging of an election uh, by way of like the voting machines and that sort of thing. However, 
Uh, I do recognize, and I've said before, that if you want to talk about rigging an election, look at how media operated prior to the race and in the campaign, right? When you shut down negative stories against, you know, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden's laptop, for example, when you, uh, when everyone is, is all pushing in the same direction, uh, when it's, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, nonprofits and these uh, outside expenditure groups, the PACs, the Democratic Party, elected leaders and media, and everyone's pushing in the same direction with a concerted uh, effort on messaging, a coordinated message, then uh, yeah, I'd say that you're rigging an election. Sure you are, because elections are about what media want them to be, right? Elections are about what media make them. So if you control the media messaging, which this article outlines how they did it, and they did it. So this idea that, oh, how could you say this, it was all rigged? It's not that, it's not that crazy of an idea. It, it just depends on what you mean by rigged, right? It, it really does. So amid Donald Trump's attempts to reverse the result, corporate America turned on him. This is the, what the article says by Molly Ball at Time Magazine. Hundreds of, bi- of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede. To the president, something felt amiss. It was all very strange, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. That's what Trump said. And in a way, she says, Molly Ball writes, in a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO that was published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as sort of an implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive, sometimes racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. See, so the assault on democracy. So again, what are we hearing? The framing of this is, you know, they saved our country. They saved the democracy and all that. But also that they were afraid of the violence They saw all the violence unfolding in the streets of the city and the business community was like, well, we don't want that to happen. So we need to what? We need to deal with these left wing activists that control the mob. And they do. Now, this is not what Molly Ball takes away from her reporting. Obviously, she doesn't make these arguments, although later on she talks about uh, how Antifa stood down. That there was no, you know, uh, protests by Antifa later in the story here. Uh, let me say that it's actually at the very end. Yeah, here it is. Um, do, do they had spent so much time getting ready to hit the streets that, um, but they, but they didn't. Wednesday through Friday after the election, there was not a single Antifa versus Proud Boys incident like everybody was expecting. And when that didn't materialize, I don't think the Trump campaign had a backup plan. But I thought Antifa was just an idea. I didn't realize that it was actually a bunch of people that would engage in street activity and violence and such. That's so weird. I wonder why. Yeah, there was actually a handshake between business and labor. And then that was just one component of a vast 
cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair. Credible and uncorrupted. No, no, no. Just because the entire effort was launched and largely run by all of these left-wing activist organizations and big labor and such. I mean, they did bring in the Chamber of Commerce and they had like uh, 20 elected Republicans and like a third of them were Trump supporters. Among this massive group of left-wing activists and organizations. No, no, no. I'm sure it's totally... Nonpartisan. It was all dedicated not to winning, but just to ensuring a free and fair election. That's all. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign, and it crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors, like the Lincoln Project, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Hey, are you trying to buy or sell your house? Uh, if you're trying to buy a house, then uh, call Rowena Patton. Her phone number is 333-4483. She's got homes in all price points. Uh, now, if you're trying to sell your house, uh, call Rowena Patton. Her number is 333-4483 because she has buyers already lined up. And if you're buying or selling, she's the official Homes for Heroes agent in the Asheville area, which means you can keep... 25% of the realtor commission. So keep more of your own money, basically. And uh, this program, it's a national program, but they only pick one real estate agent per marketplace. And Rowena is their agent. And uh, this program is open to uh, police officers, firefighters, military, so veterans, active duty, uh, and retirees, uh, but also healthcare professionals and educators. So call Rowena Patton today, the number 333 4483. Uh, or go to her website, mountainhomehunt.com, and get your home sold quickly and for more money. This is what she does. Rowena Patton, 333-4483. Give her a call and then start packing. Uh, so the scenario the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. No, 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 no. It was, an, I mean, they just viewed a re-election of, of Donald Trump, obviously, as like uh, an existential threat to the democracy, but they weren't trying to prevent him from winning. Oh, no, no, no. The scenario that they were desperate to avoid was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They, uh, they got states to change voting systems and laws, and they helped secure hundreds of millions of dollars in public and private financing. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. Viral smears. Would that be like... The Hunter Biden laptop story that you got uh, Twitter and Facebook to uh, to censor. Kind of like that, even though, oh, by the way, we find out after the fact. Yeah, it's true. The New York Post reporting on all that was true. Kind of like that. You mean 
They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After Election Day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. See, so they are fighting for the democracy against Donald Trump, you know, who's literally Hitler, right? They're fighting against that. Now, this is the narrative crafting, obviously. And Trump uh, is trying to spoil the election. Uh, He has henchmen at the state level and such. There is a quote here from a Trump supporter named uh, Zach Wamp or Wamp, Zach Wamp. He's a former GOP representative. And he said, every week we felt like we were in a struggle to try to pull off this election without the country going through a real dangerous moment of unraveling. He claims to be a Trump supporter who helped coordinate a bipartisan election protection council. Um, Every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the election was defeated, says Ian Basson, co-founder of Protect Democracy, a nonpartisan rule of law advocacy group. But it's massively important for the country to understand that it didn't happen accidentally. The system didn't work magically. Democracy is not self-executing. That's why the participants want this secret history of the 2020 election told. Even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. Again, this is what they want you to believe. The people who are telling Molly Ball this story and Molly Ball who is regurgitating their story to you, this is the narrative that they would like you to believe rather than say um, that they were trying to manipulate the election process. Because what they see is like, we're just trying to make sure everybody can vote with all of these, uh, you know, ballot harvesting operations and drop boxes and all of this, which, by the way, the things that they, you know, claim to be trying to guard against in order to preserve the democracy, a lot of the stuff that they were doing, it's now or that they were trying to prevent, I should say, is now run as uh, House Resolution 1. The Democrats plan to nationalize the election system, which is kind of ironic because these people say that the reason why they were successful in preventing Trump from, you know, uh, taking it all over and being the literal Hitler that he is, the, the reason why they were successful and the reason why it was more difficult for him to be able to do that was because every single state has its own election system. It's not a national election. But now the Democrats in Congress with H.R. 1, They're trying to nationalize the election system. The very thing that these people, all of the left virtually, that they were saying they they relied on in order to stop Trump, they now want to codify. They want to put into law these mechanisms. Do you wonder why that would be the case? Is it because they're in power and they think that this would help serve their purpose? See, the the people who are telling the story, they want to be seen as heroes. They want to get credit for saving America. They want the credit, 
That's what this is about, too. It's not simply, okay, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say maybe, yes, part of them want the story told because American democracy is too important. You need to know how difficult this was. But there's also a bit of ego here. There's also a bit of of, uh, self-interest because the people who were involved, they can now claim credit and that gives them more juice, right? It gives them more power in their political circles because the architect of this was a guy by the name of Mike Padorzer, who uh, is a senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO. Among Democratic insiders, he's known as the wizard behind some of the biggest advances in political technology in recent decades. A group of liberal strategists that he brought together in the early 2000s led to the creation of the Analyst Institute, a secretive firm that applies scientific methods to political campaigns. He was also involved in the founding of Catalyst, the flagship progressive data company. And so he starts doing his analysis of what might happen. And he's like, the two most likely outcomes here in his mind were Trump losing and refusing to concede or Trump winning the electoral college, losing the popular vote, but winning the electoral college uh, by corrupting the voting process in key states. See, this is all very convenient (laughs) to allege after the fact. Like, because at no point, I guess, is ever is it ever um, contemplated that Donald Trump could have won either the popular vote or uh, or and the Electoral College or just the Electoral College, like without corruption. No, no, no. It's got to be corruption. Right. Got to be corruption. Um, He began to hear from others eager to join forces like the fight back table a coalition of resistance organizations. So they all banded together and they called themselves the Democracy Defense Coalition. Uh, What he wanted to know was not how American democracy was dying, but how it might be kept alive. The chief difference between the U.S. and countries that meanwhile, remember, this guy works for an organization that wants you when you're voting, whether or not to unionize, they want to be able to see how you're voting. But they're supposed to be the defenders of our democracy. Give me a break, guys. Right? Just give me a break. This hagiography, the, like the, 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 the painting of yourselves as these saints, only in it for the most noblest of reasons. Oh, we're not interested in an outcome. We're just interested in the process. That's right. It's just the process. We want to make sure that it's, it's good. Speaking of good, um, you know, it's a good place to get your uh, military surpluses, Old Grouch's military surplus. Also, tons of other gear. So if you are an outdoorsy type of person, uh, then Old Grouch has got stuff for you. You got spring is here. So you got people going out, you know, hiking trails, camping, uh, fishing, hunting. Uh, You're going to need some equipment. For example, uh, you're going to need first aid kits, uh, maybe a machete to cut through some of the brush on your next camping trip uh, or for the zombie apocalypse, you know, whatever. He's got ammo cans, although these are getting kind of rare as well. Uh, But he did get a recent shipment in. Um, He's also got tons of gun accessories. So if you are one of the recent newly uh, minted gun owners of America, then uh, head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus and uh and get all the accessories that every gun owner knows you have to have. <laughs> all the accessories are at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They are in downtown Clyde on Main Street, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday, and of course, all the time, 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. So according to this article in Time Magazine, um, 
the chief difference between the U.S. and countries that lost their grip on democracy was that America's decentralized election system could not be rigged in one fell swoop. That press uh, that presented an opportunity to shore it up. Right. As I mentioned, which now Democrats are trying to nationalize the election system. But then COVID-19 erupted at the height of the primary election season. Normal methods of voting were no longer safe for voters or the most uh, mostly elderly volunteers who normally staff polling places. But political disagreements intensified by Trump's crusade against mail voting uh, prevented some states from making it easier to vote absentee and for jurisdictions to count those votes in a timely manner. I love this idea that, you know, we're just making it easier to vote. Yeah, you know what? Um, I would really like to go to a rock concert. You know what would make it really easy for me to attend? If there was nobody at the front gate collecting tickets. That would make it really, really easy for me to attend. All right, how about this? I would really like to withdraw some money from the bank. You know what would make it really easy? Um, not having to present any information to the teller when I say I want a million dollars from the bank. That would make it really, really easy. Oh, right, how about this? I would really like to drive. You know what would make it really easy for me to drive is for... Uh, me to just take a car or for you to give me a car. That's fine. And not have any kind of, you know, licensing or anything like that. Just give me a car. That would make it really easy for me to drive. See, all of these election integrity measures are designed for a purpose. And while the left says it's all about suppression, no, it's all about ensuring that there is some modicum of security. So people aren't, you know, uh, you know, driving all around the roads without a license or stealing cars to do so, or they're not, you know, cr uh, gate crashing at rock concerts or, you know, stealing a bunch of money from banks. Like that's the same idea is you have some security measures in place. So uh, the story that they are selling is that protecting the election would require an effort of unprecedented scale. As 2020 progressed, it stretched to Congress, Silicon Valley, and the nation's state houses. It drew energy from the summer's racial justice protests, many of whose leaders were a key part of the liberal alliance. And eventually it reached across the aisle into the world of Trump skeptical Republicans appalled by his attack on democracy. The first task they say, was overhauling America's bulky election infrastructure. And they talked about $400 million in grants that went to state election administrators via the government. And they mention the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative chipped in $300 million. It was a failure at the federal level that they didn't have this money that they needed. That's the framing, as we heard from Hayden Ludwig earlier in the episode, which... That is a wrap for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, remember, subscribe to the podcast. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com and uh, think about becoming a patron as well. The link is right there at the top of the page. Thanks so much for the support. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.